Nehemiah chapter 3. And the title of uh, my message this morning is Building Together. And although it's really not designed to be a Mother's Day message, uh, let me say I believe it's appropriate for Mother's Day because if we're going to grow in our personal lives, if we're going to have uh, success in building our lives and building this church for the Lord, we need strong families. And strong families are made up of moms and dads and children who are following the leadership of their parents. These families must be have strong men as leaders and compassionate mothers to influence what's needed in their lives. Now, let me say this past week, I had the privilege to conduct the funeral service for Lillian Munson. That's Don's mother and uh, the Smith's grandmother. And uh, one thing that struck me was the wonderful testimony that Lillian had as a mother and grandmother. Uh, let me just read one paragraph from her obituary. Her obituary was really a couple of pages long, but uh, one little paragraph said this, Church and community were important in Lillian's life, but family was no doubt central in her life. She raised her children in a traditional, disciplined manner and was considered the matriarch of the extended family. Lillian was a very giving and friendly person and always welcomed people into her home. She was humble and non-judgmental, yet she was also strong in many different ways. She was known not to sit idly by when something needed to be accomplished, but was to take a take-charge person. Well, I believe that's the kind of mothers we need today. Uh, building strong families for the glory of the Lord. Now, someone has said... For some, motherhood is an accident, and it's not always a welcome one. For some, biological motherhood isn't possible. For some, mothers weren't at all nice. For some, motherhood under the very best circumstances is still less than a bed of roses and a primrose path. But to become a mother is not so difficult. On the other hand, being a mother is, a very, is very much so. So with all those qualifications, someone would say, well, why bother with Mother's Day at all? Well, I'll tell you why. Because for all its stumbling blocks and pitfalls and broken dreams, for all the soiled diapers and soiled wallpaper and spoiled plans, we're talking about a beautiful ideal, a natural part of God's creative plan to bring love and care to light. Motherhood is a constant demand for the gift of love and caring. And mothers play a vital role in building strong families and strong ministries as well. Now, as I noted, our message is not about mothers per se, but I'm sure Nehemiah had a mother. And no doubt she played an important part in forming his character as a leader and a man of God to be used for his glory. Now, as we continue our study of Nehemiah, at first glance, chapter 3 looks like one of those kind of dry chapters. Uh, one commentator referred to it as a colorless memorandum of assignments. It reads much like the, the book of First Chronicles with its long list of names and difficult to pronounce 
information that seems redundant and a chronology that seems meaningless. It's hard to muddle through it. While it may be tempting just to skip this chapter, it contains some great insights and principles that I believe have direct application to our lives today. Let me just briefly set the historical context in case you've missed the last several weeks, but in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army captured the Jews. Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls were knocked down and the temple was burned. The people were deported and were forced into slavery and Jerusalem was left in ruins. But God did not forsake his people. He moved King Cyrus to make a decree to let some of the Jews return. And in three stages, over about a hundred years, they were allowed to migrate back to Jerusalem, only to discover the city was still demolished and desolate. Now, by the way of review, through Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1, we learned that he was concerned about the problem of Jerusalem's desolation. He had a conviction about God's character. He confessed his sin. He was confident about God's promises, and he was committed to get involved. And last week, we journeyed through Nehemiah back to Jerusalem and discovered that as a contractor, he had five tools in his toolbox. Waiting, trusting, praying, planning, and testifying. And he also tackled five different tasks replenished his resources, assessed the need, recruited workers, inspired confidence, and handled opposition. Now, this morning, let me make two preliminary observations concerning chapter 3. Chapter 3 reveals Nehemiah's extraordinary gift of administration and organization. He was able to mobilize and empower 44 separate groups of people for the ingenious task of rebuilding the walls. And this no doubt came just about because of his careful assessment of the need during the moonlit reconnaissance trip that he made in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. But it also shows how people working together can accomplish more than just one person trying to do all the work. I want you to just look at this chapter uh, it, and kind of browse through it just a little bit. And I want you to notice, and I've done this, and next time you have an opportunity, you may not have an opportunity now to get them all, but just notice how many times it says next unto him. Verse 2, it says next unto him, and then next to them. And then down in verse 4, next unto them, and next unto them, and next unto them. Over and over and over it says next unto them. Or later on it begins to say, after him, after him, after him, down through, from, uh, uh, through the end of the chapter. These expressions, 31 times in this chapter, give us this biblical pr principle that every person is to be involved in ministry because every person has a job to do. I heard one fellow say, you know, I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. Well, when it comes to work for the Lord, there's no place for just sitting on the couch and watching uh, award ceremonies. And we're going to see in this chapter the wall workers accomplished an incredible task. And in the process, they smashed a world record for teamwork. Notice with me, first of all, this morning, the purpose 
of the work, the purpose of the work. Nehemiah was able to build his team around a central rallying point. He pointed them to the purpose of the work, and the purpose of the work was to the glory of God. They weren't just working on walls. Uh, They were worshiping a worthy God. The workers maybe have been may have been bummed about the conditions of the city and disgraced in the presence of their enemies. And it was probably difficult for them to sing out the truth of Psalm 48, verse 2, which describes Jerusalem as beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. But they longed for God's city to regain its splendor and for God to get the credit. Now the purpose of all of ministry and really life itself is the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 puts it very uh, plainly there. Wherefore, uh, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. As you think about growth personally and as we think about growth as a church, unless God is in it, it's going to fail. But that's a good thing because We're motivated and mobilized by the relentless pursuit of God's splendor. Look at verse 1 here in chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Meha. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananel. Now it's no accident, I believe, that the list here of the work starts with the sheep gate the sheep gate another it's another way of saying put god first close to the wall's northeast corner this gate provided easy access to the temple and it was given this name because of all the sheep that would enter through to be sacrificed and by beginning there nehemiah is establishing their relationship with God as being the most important thing. That's the most important place to start, in a relationship with God. They had a time of dedication right at the beginning of the construction project, and we must make sure we are dedicated to God before we begin to work for Him. And this is critical. Don't make the mistake of focusing so much on the work or the task that you forget God Himself. God is not impressed with your labor. He wants your heart. And that's why we worship, our worship must always precede the work. I wonder this morning, have you settled that question? Are you sold out to God, completely committed and totally devoted to Him? If you are, then you're ready to get to work. If you're not, then we need to keep the main thing the main thing and do as 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So the purpose of the work is here. Now, that's uh, the, the, uh, kind of the, uh, the first point is kind of an introduction here, but the real meat of this chapter is the people in the work. The people in the work. It's like reading a book and, you know, skipping to the last chapter or the last page and reading the ending. Uh, if you already read the book of Nehemiah, you know what happens here. The wall was built in a world record 52 days. 
And yet just as interesting it is to, as to, it is to watch the intricacies of maybe an Olympic competition or, uh, we'll dive into this chapter so we're gonna see more of the details of, of what's happening here. We're gonna learn about several individuals. Much like the human interest story television networks do when they air stories on their news shows about different people in various walks of life. But I see six principles from this chapter that will help us, uh, each of us, work well together. Notice, first of all, leaders must set the example. Leaders must set the example. We see this in verse 1. If anybody in the city should have been busy with the work, it was the priest's. For God's reputation here is at stake. The high priest had no hesitation using his consecrated hands to swing a hammer and push a wheelbarrow. As befitted the superior dignity of his office, he wore the sacred garment of gold and blue and purple and scarlet made out of fine linen. And on the upper part, he had 12 precious stones set in gold with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved upon them. And on his head, he wore a dark blue turban with the phrase, Holy to the Lord, engraved on a diadem of pure gold. And yet, here he is picking up the rubble and even laying the brick. I bet he had to have his clothes dry cleaned after that. But sad to say, Eliashib did not remain true to his calling and he later partnered with the enemy to create some serious problems for Nehemiah in chapter 13. And again, this serves as a good reminder to us. It's not as important how to begin a project. It's also important how we finish that counts. Some people who enthusiastically begin a job or a ministry, they may drop out and they may turn against it for one reason or another. But when we talk about leaders... For instance, leaders in our church here, we're not just referring to the pastor and the deacons. There are a number of you that have leadership positions. You have been elected to serve as an officer and appointed to be a teacher. You too are leaders. And as you serve in your particular area, there are people who are looking to you as an example. And while you may not think of yourself as a leader, that's exactly what you are and that's what you're doing. You're leading The question is, are we as leaders setting a good example to others? It's a very important thing that each one of us as leaders take a good close look at that. And then what about at home? Moms and dads are the leaders and and God especially gives the dad a place of leadership in the home. What kind of an example are you, dad? I think I heard it several times uh, uh, as a number of messages, uh, uh, you know, are aired in, in preparation for Mother's Day and so forth, and, and uh, how much that more is caught than is taught. You know, when you, uh, your mother may not have just sat you down and said, this is what we're going to do here, here, and here, but she may have just lived a life and you caught more than were taught. And that happens so many times. Our children learn how to live by what they see and hear us doing more than what we tell them or teach them verbally. An individual, a family, a church is going to grow and be built up by the example we as leaders give them around us. Then secondly, the second principle is that God uses all kinds of people. Take, go down to verse 8. Notice verse 8 says, Next unto him repaired Uzziah, uh, Uzziah, 
Zile, the son of Harahiah of the goldsmiths. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries, and they fortified Jerusalem under the broad wall. Now, the Lord didn't use or need a thousand masons and carpenters to rebuild the wall. He just needed regular, ordinary people who were willing to work. People from a wide variety of different backgrounds, trades, and localities gathered to work on this wall. Now, the rulers and the priests, they worked together with the regular people. Some of them even lived as many as 10 or 15 miles away. You see, there was a place for everyone, and there's a job for everyone to do. This is the bedrock truth that's based on the belief that God has gifted each one of us and called each one of us to be involved in a lifestyle of servanthood. And as we use our gifts, we are fruitful, we will be fulfilled, and our church will be fortified. Some key words throughout this chapter are that of Repaired, builded, or build. Now, when you think of repairing, you think of someone fixing something that's broken. When you think of a building, or think of building, you think of making something new. Now, no doubt there had to be parts of the wall that needed to be built anew, and other parts needed to be repaired. But we note here that so-and-so repaired a section, and so-and-so built a section, but they were working next to each other. Likewise, just as one person could construct the whole could not uh, could not construct the whole wall by himself, so too you and I are called to do a certain part of the kingdom work that we have here of the ministry. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Romans 12:6 says, "Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us." I wonder this morning, are you serving in your area of giftedness right now? If not, it's time to grab a brick and jump in. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I we're going to be uh, going to uh, visit some missionaries that we support. I mean. Uh, uh, Are you praying for our missionaries? We have their prayer letters back there on the wall. I trust that you're praying for them. Are you giving uh, to their support? I trust that you're praying that their needs are met. And will you pray and fervently uh, pray about what God wants you to do in relationship to our ministries? Our ladies worked uh, uh, yesterday on a couple of projects, one for the Pust's uh, uh, missionaries, a family, that they needed some, some things for their children's uh, ministry there. And then there's been a, some gathering of some things for the Smiths. They're going to go back to Central Asia. And so I'm thankful for the ladies that worked yesterday and gave of their talents and their abilities to prepare that. God uses all kinds of people. Leaders must be an example. But then thirdly, Notice that uh, some people will not work. Now having said that there's a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do, there will always be those who refuse to exert themselves. Most people worked, but some shirked their responsibility. We see this in verse 5. Look down in verse 5. And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but... Their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. 
There were those who uh, refused. Tekoa was a town, actually, about 11 miles from Jerusalem. And while some of the people commuted to the job site, the nobles of Tekoa called in sick. I'll put that in quotes, all right? Actually, the text says they refused to participate in the work of God because they didn't want to follow orders. They didn't want to be told what to do. They were too proud to submit themselves to the supervisors of the job, and they were too important to get their hands dirty. The phrase there, put not their necks to the work, suggests that it was pride more than anything else that kept them from pitching in. Nehemiah is using agricultural imagery that describes a stiff-necked ox who refuses to be yoked. And anyone here today who refuses to roll up their sleeves and work, feeling like you're too important to spend time, maybe with a hurting person or teaching a Sunday school class or doing the work that needs to be done, think about Jeremiah 48 and verse 10 which gives a stinging rebuke to those who just want to sit back with their arms crossed. He said there, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. Those are some very strong words from the Lord. And by the way, there are those who are lax in the Lord's work, are not only subject to a curse, but they're also missing out on one of the greatest blessings and privileges of all time. I can't think of anything more rewarding than being involved in God's work. You can't beat it. Some of the happiest Christians I know are those who are serving in their area of giftedness. And on the other hand, some of the grumpiest Christians I know are those who are the pew potatoes and they're not willing to put their shoulder to work. Now, if that uh, is... Uh, a stinging rebuke this morning, so be it. You know, I don't hold back usually. But some people will not work. And then there's some people who do more work. In every church, in every project, there's always some who, will, uh, who are slack in their serving. At the same time, there are those who do more work than any others. Remember these men at Tekoa? In verse 5, we read they finished their section of the wall, even though their nobles didn't help out. And you go down to verse 27, and it says, After them the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great tower that lieth not. Refusing to follow the bad example of their leaders, these workers went the extra mile. And I can picture them coming up to Nehemiah and telling them that they had finished their job, and Nehemiah asked them if they wanted another section. They said, bring it on, man. We're in a groove. We're going. All right? Look at verse uh, 18. Verse 18 says, After them, him repaired their brethren... Bavai, the son of Hanadad, the ruler of half part of Kildad. And then in verse uh, 24, uh, after him repaired Benui, the son of Hanadad, another piece from the house of Azariah, unto the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. And then another guy by the name of Meshulam completed one part, that's in verse 4, and then he repaired an additional section in verse 30. Go back to verse 31 or 21. After him repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koaz, another place from the door of the house of Elishib, even to the end of the house of Elishib. 
After he finished the assignment, he walked, uh, worked on the wall in front of his neighbor's house. When he was done shoveling his sidewalk, he moved to the neighbor's house and shoveled his sidewalk. What am I doing talking about snow anyway? I know it was a little cold this morning, and some of you are looking for your snow shovels, but you know that's what it's, it's talking about. Sometimes we do our work, and then we volunteer to go and help someone else do their work. You know, there's a tendency within most of us to finish the work we volunteered for and then stop and stretch our arms and say, well, it's great doing the Lord's work, but I'm finished now. Not these guys. They knew the kingdom work is never finished, and when they completed one job for the Lord, they didn't sit back and think they had fulfilled their responsibility as a Christian. There's more work to be done, and so they went to, to work. Matthew 5.41, Jesus addresses each one of us when he asks a very good question. What do ye more? What do ye more? And I think you could say, than others. Listen, what are you doing more than others? Well, then that brings us to some work with passion. Some work with passion. In this entire chapter, there's only one guy that's mentioned who worked zealously. Look at it in verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbai, earnestly repaired the other piece with the turning of the wall unto the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. He uses the word earnestly. That means zealously. The Hebrew word uh, earnestly there means to burn or glow and suggests that Baruch burned a lot of energy. He was not just serving, he was on fire. It's amazing because in chapter 4 and verse 6 we read that the people had a mind to work. Everyone was working hard, but in a crowd of committed construction workers, Baruch stood out from the rest. You know, we need more like him who will say, I really don't care what others are doing, I'm going to do my very best. Now, I believe we have the privilege of having at least one Bayrook in our midst. I've, I've been blessed to have at least one Bayrook in every church that I've uh, pastored. And it's usually the guy who has a lot of tools, knows how to use them. And I don't say this to cause him to get puffed up, but I believe he deserves some recognition around here. I'm talking about Bayrook Marsky. You know Bayrook Marsky? Uh, he's here at church during the week. He changes the light bulbs when they go out. Uh, he fixes whatever needs, us, needs fixing. He mows the, the grass. He helps back there ushering and many, many things to help in this ministry. You know what? He's a pretty, pretty good golf partner too. But I know there's many others who have uh, helped. But this Bayrook Marsky, he helps other people with their projects, not here just at church. That might be a little embarrassing that I'm talking about him this morning, but he would say that he serves because of what the Lord has done in his life. And that God gets all the credit. But I want him to know that he's a tremendous blessing here at Spooner Baptist Church. Of course, there are many others who help. Uh, Bayrook Marsky. Uh, we had a work day here, and I caught some other people working. Uh, some were not working too hard, but they were working. Uh, but... Uh, I'm wondering this morning, are you willing to go the extra mile and, uh, and, and burn with zeal and passion in your service? Are you tired of just going through the motions? Are you ready to get fired up and work? Listen, 
let's, let's kick it up a notch here. The truth were known, most of us all would, could do a lot more and with a lot more passion than what we're doing right now. And then some work as families. The final principle here from this great passage is some people worked as families. Either on a section in front of their home or on another section away from their neighborhood. At least six different workers plus an unknown number of priests repaired the portions of the wall that were nearest to their houses, we're told here. If all of us would follow this example, our neighborhoods would look different as well. Listen, we need to look at our neighbors as a mission field. We need to befriend them and serve them and pray for them. And we need to decide as a family how, how, to, uh, how we can be a, a missionary-minded family. And I want us to, to be challenged this morning. Identify your neighbors that live near you and then commit to do three things. Pray, care for them, and share with them the gospel. Prayer, care, and share. And as you pray for them, God will give you opportunities to care for their needs. And when they're, you're caring for their needs, He'll open up avenues for you to share the good news of the gospel. Now, we're called to start at home, but we're not supposed to just stay at home. Husbands and fathers, this is going to be your responsibility. I know, notice as I read this chapter how many times it mentioned the word son and sons. In verse 3, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hazaniah. And in verse 12, it says the daughters of Shalem worked on the wall. As, as uh, families, we have the opportunity to be used in our neighborhoods and in our community. Instead of just looking at what we can, you can do as an individual, we need to start thinking creatively how we can include our entire family in the joyful task of, of the ministry. You know, as a church, we're committed to make an impact in our city, our county, in our country, and, in our, and on the continents. But we must, must begin at home. John fifteen sixteen, Jesus told his disciples that he had chosen them to go and bear fruit. The word chosen means he strategically placed them. You ever thought of the fact that God has strategically placed you in a particular place? God has you living where you're living for a reason. It wasn't an accident. If God's work is going to get done, we have to cooperate with one another, not compare, not criticize, but we must keep the main thing, the main thing, by never forgetting that God's glory is at stake. And we won't all be able to give equally, but we can all make equal sacrifices. Remember that nothing has ever been done for God without hard work. Now, in order to work well with others on a job we, that's much bigger than we are, and the task that demands that w everything we have, we need to recognize that leaders must set the pace. God uses all kinds of people. Some will not work. Some do more work. Some work with passion. And then some work as families. And I close with this illustration this morning. One of the fascinating things about geese is they normally fly in a V formation. I'm sure you've noticed that one side of the V is usually a little bit longer than the other side. Do you know why that is? It's because there are more geese on that side. 
Well, geese often cover thousands of miles before reaching their destination. They can only get there where they're headed if they work together. And here's some very interesting facts about their flight patterns. By flying as they do, the members of the flock create an upward air current for one another. And by flying in the V formation, the whole flock gets 71% greater flying range than if each goose would fly on his own. When one goose gets sick or wounded, two will fall out of that formation and follow it down to help protect it, and they stay with the struggler until he's able to fly again. The geese in the, near, in the rear of the formation are the ones who do the honking. It's their way of announcing their following, and everyone, everything's going well. They re, the repeated honks encourage those in front to stay with it. You know, as I thought about this, one lesson stands out above all the others. It's a natural instinct of geese to work together. Whether it's flapping or helping or simply honking, the flock is in it together, which enables them to accomplish what they set out to do. And I trust that each one of us here this morning will take this message to heart wherever we may be spiritually. Perhaps as a member of this church, whether for a long time or a short time, you need to get more involved in the work of the ministry. Perhaps as a father or a mother, you sense the Spirit of God speaking to your heart about being a better example to your family in the work of the Lord. And I trust that it's your desire, your prayer, to to be obedient to the Lord. Perhaps you're not a member of this church, but God is impressing upon your heart to become a part of this ministry. Perhaps it's time to identify yourself with this church uh, through membership. Perhaps you do not know what is involved in that. Well, I'll be glad to talk with you about that. But perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know what it means to know Christ as your personal Savior. You see, you can attend church and do all kinds of work, but it'll do nothing to gain favor with God and save you from an eternity in hell. There are many who believe that if you just work hard, if you go to church and you give in the offerings and you're you're good as you can be, then God will look favorably upon you and allow you a place in heaven. No, the Bible clearly says in Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I invite you to come and someone... Allow someone to take God's word and show you how you can be saved today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you 